0: It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to stand here before you. And I'll tell you, it's just as terrifying now as it was the first time. It's not your loving faces, it's the fear of mishandling the Word of God. Um, I was actually going to start on a message on presumption of, on God, the sin of presumption. And then it kind of changed, and then I went to this one. We're going to be looking at... Psalms 139, 1 through 24. Now, don't panic. I'm going to try to keep it to within a time limit. My wife's going to be there watching, and I got my watch here to make sure. Um, I've been known to go over, so. The title of my message is, Do You Have Courage? and that will make a little bit more sense as we start going on. When I was a new Christian, I was on one of those reading programs, you read so much every week, and take something from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I came across this verse in Psalms 23 and 24. It said, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I remember reading that, going, "Oh Lord, um, I have enough problems with the sins I know about now. Do I really want You to show me the other ones that, you know, I haven't thought about and that I'm not ready to deal with?" Um, and it it terrified me. It shouldn't have, but it did. Now interestingly, this psalm written by David, and some people say it wasn't, that the author is unknown, but I believe it was David. He starts the verses with verse one with, "O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. And then he goes to verses 23 and 24, which I just read to you. Basically, they're bookends. The only difference is one is in the past tense, he said, you have searched me. And in the end, he says, search me. And there's a reason for that. <clears throat> now, the word searched, it means to dig deeply, to apply accurately and look at something very closely. Basically, putting a sieve to the sand to get all the uh, pan, rather, like a pan in gold, where all the dirt and the sand and all is separated from the gold nuggets. It's a very close look. And when he says, "And to know me," which means, as a result of that very close search and look at you, there can be nothing to be concealed or hidden from God. Well, we all know there is nothing that can be, but I think it's more for our benefit. I'll be breaking down the verses as we go along because this is the beginning of the bookend where he says, Sir, You searched me. Because then David goes on to, like in verses one through six, God knows there is in David's heart and our hearts, he knows what's there. There's no question, right? It talks about David recognizes God's omniscience and his omnipresence. You know, he's all places at all times, and he knows all things. And the confidence and hope that that brings. Now, I wish I'd known that the first time I read this, because I was more like petrified that I already have my issues to deal with. Why would I want to know more and have to deal with more? The thing is, in my life, there was a certain time in my life where there was one major sin that we were—I deal- was dealing with. I wasn't dealing very, very well. And what happens is, if you don't deal with it, God will put it in front of you and deal with it. I mean, I don't know how many of you know, but I had a problem with alcohol and had drugs. I've been sober and clean for over thirty-something years now. But there came a time when that. Was, became a major issue in my life. And the thing is, I was a believer at that time and not a new believer. I had been a believer for quite a few years and I was still struggling with this. And God said, okay, you're not ready to deal with it yet, but we're going to deal with it. Within a week, my life became very, very complicated and scary. But at the end of that, I actually said, God, okay, I'm ready. Do what you got to do, fix me. And he did. Now, that road was long and hard. It was difficult, but it was definitely worth it. Verses 7 to 12. Again, it's part of an mission. He talks about how God is everywhere in all ways and all presence. Now, he says in these verses, it's like, From the height of heaven to the depths of Sheol, and depending on what translation you use, it's hell or Sheol, but I believe it's Sheol is the accurate. God is there. From the east to the west, the distance as far as from the east and the west, God is still there. You can't not hide from him no matter how far you go. No matter how dark, what depths you sink into and what darkness you sink to, God is there. Because he is light and he will always enlighten, so you can't hide in darkness. That should give us some confidence. As believers, no matter where we are, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what's happening in our lives, God is watching us and looking over us. Now, on the other side. Have you ever had a sin that you just didn't really want to give up yet? It's something you didn't, you know, you tucked it away, you know, thought it was under control. Everyone wants while you would take it out and give it some attention, look around, tuck it away again. Well, I hate to tell you, God knows those. And depending on the timing, he will deal with it. Verses 13 through 16. God knows in in the scripture his life past, that's David's, but he also knows ours. He created us. He knew us before the foundation of time. He saw us being, I mean, he knitted us in our mother's wounds. His eyes have been on David in in this, but also on us, from the beginning of our existence. Verses 17 and 18, he's talking about God's thoughts towards him and us are precious and numerous as the sands. So not only is he watching and looking at us, he's always thinking about us. And his thoughts about us are precious and more numerous than the sands on any beach but what about my my life my character my sin is in my life but he still thinks about me with kind thoughts because the miraculous thing is he led me to him not because I would do anything wondrous for him, but because he just decided, I'm picking this grain of sand, which is named Paul, and I'm gonna make him one of mine. Warts and all, flaws and all. In verses 18 through 22, David expresses his strong dislike of sin. He actually said, I hate sin and the way of sinners as a way of expressing his love for God and God's righteousness. Because God is that way, I too do want to dislike sin. I want to dislike the way, the the world of people who are participating in the sins. Verses 23 and 24. This is where he ends it again. Now, again, he's sandwiching this in. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, one one translation I read says, see in me any wicked way in me that would harm me. Well, sin would harm you. He just got finished saying that there's no place you can hide from him. There's no place that God can't see you. There's nothing that you could do that he doesn't know. But yet he's praying again, Lord, search me. Try me. God is already watching us. He's asking God to do a deep dive, hard look at, his character, or our characters, to really look closely and pick us apart. It's like a raw piece of wood. We're the raw piece of wood, the knots and all, and he's saying, okay God, take your sandpaper and take care of all those problems, sand me out smooth, polish me and make me beautiful so you could use me. That process is not painless, but it is worth it what is god's purpose in our lives one of the things he wants for us is to become more like his son now when we become saved we know god in god's eyes we've already made that because he's already determined that but in our lives we haven't gotten there yet so we have to process and continue growing and learning and dealing and Fortunately for us, God doesn't say, here's all the sins you've got to deal with. Fix them now. Personally, I would say, I give up. <laughs> I can't do that. That's too much. But God created us. He knows us. He knows our character. He knows who we are, what we can handle, and what we can't handle. So as we go on through our lives, he is always working on us to improve us to have him more like the image of his son. For the unbeliever, that should be terrifying to know that you cannot hide from God. There's nothing that he doesn't see. They go around the world acting like they're getting away with it, all happy and smug in their cells, saying, doing this, they don't realize that it's all been being watched and recorded. And when they pass and go to heaven or to the gates rather there's a couple books. One is the book of life and the other one is the book of the stuff that you did in your life. If you're not in the book of life you go to the second book. If you are in the book of life, he goes, okay, you go to heaven. Go join me. You're one of my son, one of of the ones my son, go. God doesn't see us. He sees the purity and grace and holiness of Christ as he's imputed that to us. means given to us on our account. But if you're not in the book of life, you get to be judged by your deeds. And... Think about it. Would you want to be judged by all the deeds that you've done in your life, good, bad, indifferent? Even as a believer, I shudder at that thought. But for a believer, that's a glorious, wondrous, positive thing to give us confidence and hope, Should give us joy. God loves me. He wants to mold me to be more like his son. Yes, what I have to deal with can be fearful and hard. I didn't particularly like getting sober and clean. It was a long road, and there are still things in this life now that I have to deal with from that past, but it was worth it. So even if you don't want to deal with this sin he's going to deal with it eventually but here David's praying that, Lord do a deep dive into my character, into my heart search me not only is God asking him to search him he's asking him to exercise that power of the ability to do so so that David, and or us in this instance, wouldn't have any delusions or self-deceptions. This is where the kind of the opposite of what I was talking about from the you know, the presumption of God. Now David is asking to do the opposite. But again, David was praying that, Lord, let me not presume upon you. So he's asking that through this search that he wouldn't have any delusions or self-deceptions. So that we could or he couldn't indulge in any false hopes. And that he and us wouldn't cherish any improper feelings or desires. Now sin is fun. That's why it. sin. One reason is sin is because it's easy to do. It's fun, but the consequences are not. Hidden sin is no less. You say, well, this this little problem I have here, nobody knows about it, so it's not affecting any of my friends or my family. That's not true. Because it affects you. It affects all your relationships To go out here. And depending on what it is, you can't deluge, you can't, Fool yourself in believing that it has done nothing. It, you can't have any delusions about it. It's there, it will affect. There's no such thing as a secret sin because God knows about it. We're trying to keep it secret from everybody else. And he says, and know my heart. He's asking God to look in and know and see what's in his heart, what's in his thoughts. What's in his actions? It says, Try me. That means to test. All right, God, I've said you. Want, I want you to see these, but do you really want to be proved that you've dealt with this? David's saying, Test me on it, Lord. You find something and you tell me about it, test me to see if I'm really going to do it. It's a test like they do on, to see how pure gold is. Do you know how they purify gold? They put it in a special pot and they heat the living daylights out of it until all the dross, that's all the impurities, all the dirt and all the things that aren't gold, float to the top. And then they separate that out. And Then they heat it up again to make sure they got it done. It's under extreme heat. So you're asking God to test you under extreme situations to make sure that you're pure, which we're not. We can never attain that, but we can still maintain the stride forward, the attempt to go forward. And then he says, And know my thoughts. Hmm. He goes a little bit more than he does in the beginning. Because he said, and know me. But now he says, and know my thoughts. He's asking God not only to examine him, but examine his outward actions and conduct. Okay, That's the stuff that we show everybody. That could be the false face that we put on for everybody that's around us. But he's also asking God to examine the purpose why we do what we do. What occupies our mind, our imaginations, and our memories? What controls our wills? So what are the underlying motivations for doing what we do? We don't always know them. Why we act in a certain way? Why we get angry at a certain person? If you search it, you will. There will be some inkling of something. But David is asking God to really, really root all this out and look at me really close. Not saying that God doesn't, but he's asking God to use that power he has for real, real close sifting of our character. I don't know about you, but that kind of scared me a lot then. And it kind of scares me a little bit now, but I know it's a good thing, and I know that everything God does for us, everything from his hand is for our benefit because he loves us. His thoughts towards us are always precious. and I'm going like, Lord, how can I be precious in your sight when I'm such a miserable sinner? When I have failed even as a believer, when I have stumbled, and I have violated and insulted you and your son. I've sinned against you. I've done horrible things and thought horrible things. And you still love me enough to call me precious. And you still care about me. How wondrous is that? God sees the finished work in our lives. He doesn't see the work we're doing now. Not that he's not aware of it, but in his mind, we're already done. We're already sanctified. We're already in heaven glorifying his son, Jesus Christ. We're already like his son. We've already been molded like that, but we have not. He sees, but he knows the difference. And he works on those things. And it still brings me to wondrous and trembling that he still picked me. I'm not perfect. No way I'm near my perfect. and no way was I even worth it before my salvation. I grew up in a household, my father was a Methodist minister. He never talked about the Bible in the household. I went to Sunday school, I went to the church when he had his messages, but I was young enough I didn't really remember him. He had left the ministry, retired early, And the thing is about being a PK preacher's kid, the world looks at it, you have two options. You can be really, really good, be the proper example of a preached son, or you can be really, really bad. You can be the hellion. Fortunately or unfortunately for me, I was never good at either one. I kind of fell somewhere miserably in the middle, thumping and bumping around, getting into trouble, but not, well, yeah, I won't go there. So I was mediocre. But even that could providence of God. I came to faith in Jesus Christ after I got married and before I had my first child. My wife came to faith after our first child. We went out to dinner with my friend, a pastor, who led me to the Lord. And something he said struck a note in We're in the parking lot, and Rich is talking to him, talking to him, and all of a sudden, the light goes on for her, and she makes a profession of faith. I remember when we are driving home, she turns to me and says, how come you never told me that? And I didn't answer the question, but I'm thinking to myself, dear, I've been saying that for the last year, but I'm not gonna complain, I'm gonna be thankful. I have a question. What one of us would be willing to let our closest friend know your most inner secrets and sinful sinful thoughts? How about just your most inner secrets, never mind your sinful thoughts? Are there things that you have not shared with even your spouse because you're so worried about? Not that they wouldn't forgive you or understand, but the fact that it would change your perspective on how they looked at you. Your perspective would change on how they looked at you because you think this sin or this problem is so grievous. Now, I'm not saying go right home and share all your stuff with your spouse that you've done and things that you know maybe get you kicked out of the house or not sleeping on the couch, but By sharing you have taken away a tool of Satan he will not be able to use it against you if it's known if it's been brought out into the light there have been sins in my life that I've only shared with maybe five people but once I did that the burden of him being able to say hey, I'm gonna get to you using this I'm gonna bring this back to your memory and then you know that, that shameful thing you did you remember that? And I can say to him, yeah, but I've been forgiven for that by God. And it's not a secret anymore. I have people I can share now if I have problems. I have times with dark thoughts, and I'm dealing with issues that I can go talk to. I don't know if you know, I've only told a couple people, but there is the severe deep depression that runs in my family and suicide. Not a good combination. My grandfather had an argument with my grandmother one day, the details of which we don't know, and you'll see in a moment. But they did not have a loving relationship they had not slept in the same bed for 40 years. Now, culturally, you can to understand, in the 50s and 60s, mm, um, you know, all the TV shows showed shepherd beds, but that wasn't the reason. They loved to hate each other. You could see, I even knew that when I was 10 years old, just seeing their interactions. It wasn't a kind, fun jabs between each other. It was like, how can I stick this to you? and get the most pain and, and, and emotional trauma from you. Now having that in mind, they had this argument. My grandmother went off to go shopping like she was gonna do when she, before the argument happened. My grandfather went into his bedroom, got a service 45, walked into the middle of the living room and shot his head off. So the first thing that my grandmother saw when she came home was his dead body. You now, in that case, I believe my grandfather did it out of sure, pure, unadulterated spite. Ha-ha, I get the last laugh on this argument. I'm leaving you dead. you know what my grandmother did? She left that stain on the living room carpet. She didn't even attempt to clean it. It was there. And it was there until the day she sold the house and someone else bought it and destroyed, you know, they basically raised the house because they're putting in a, a shopping mall. I can't understand the depths of something like that goes. Such spite for somebody that they're willing to do that. Sin can do that to you. It can twist your thoughts and your minds. So, as I said, do you have the courage to ask God, like David did, to do a deep dive into you and really search you and really try you and really know your heart? Know your thoughts, knowing that he really does, but you're asking him to. Do you have the courage to say, God, here I am, warts and all, work on me. Clean me, sand me, take all those bumps and warts out. Show me the sins that I myself am not fully cognizant of. They're in that shadows of my mind and my memory that are back there that I haven't looked at that dark corner because I'm afraid to look in that dark corner. Do you have the courage to ask God, light those corners so I can see them, so we can clear that out. Light those corners of my life that I've had secret sins, sins that I've cherished and have coddled. Look at those sins that we are entrenched in. Do you believe that you can be in such a state, even as a believer, that sin has become such an issue that you are now entrenched in it and you cannot see a way out of it. There are some sins in our lives that have such an effect that they can really destroy us. And continuous, and saying, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I won't do it again. You really don't think it's that bad, do you? Well, that's presuming on the good grace of God. If it wasn't for his grace and his glory and love, we wouldn't be here to begin with. Someone can become so entrenched with sin that God will deal with it. In my life, my drinking and my drug abuse, it was an entrenched sin. He dealt with it. To the point where he says, are you ready yet? No. Are you ready yet? Uh, Maybe. Are you ready yet? Lord, I don't care what you do. Fix it. In the worst case, you are so entrenched in sin that he'll call you home. Do you want to be a disgrace to God because your sin is so blatant that you, you don't want to deal with it and that he's been dealing with it and you just willfully say, oh. do you think a believer can do that? I think so. I had an interesting conversation with someone about suicide and believers. He believes, this person believes if you're a believer, you can commit suicide. Now the problem is, I have a personal view of this. Now this is something I haven't told many people. I was this close to killing myself, as a believer. Had gun in hand, to my face. God, his providence brought my memories to my grandfather and what he had done and how and why he did it and the suffering that he created when he did it and he stayed my hand can a believer be so confused in his life and so muddled in sin that he can make those mistakes I believe so but that's because you haven't dealt with them. Here, Dave is asking you to deal with these so that I can be useful to you, so that I can see the world and the sins of the world and hate them as much as you do. I can see the sins of the world and the sinners and hate them as much as you do. Be of, not of the world. We all have to be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We don't want to be doing the things of the world. You see something that you know is wrong, you don't want to just not say anything. Because all bad things and bad people need to do for them to succeed is for you to say nothing. Now it could be a little thing. I belong to a small talk group. And one of the guys' language is a little bit on the coarse side. I didn't say anything in the group, but I private messaged him saying, you know, I'm sorry, Dave, you have a point, but I have a problem with the language you're using, It I find it very offensive and hard to listen to your argument because of the vulgarity and the offensiveness of the language. Would you please try not to use that language? Because you have valid points, but I have problems filtering it through the profanity. Now, he looked at it and had a positive response. He said, OK, all right, I see your point. I will do my best now last couple of times he's used a couple of things dropped the f-bomb a couple times but then apologized and said i'm sorry he's trying but if i hadn't pushed it on him he wouldn't know and then later he said why is this such an issue with you i get a chance to give my testimony to him through this i said well i'm a professing believer in jesus christ and before my profession i worked in a warehouse And I could swear fluently in about six different foreign languages. And when I got saved, it took me a long time to clean that up out of my vocabulary. And when I hear that, it actually causes me pain to hear those words, and I, because I just don't want to go back there again. It goes, oh. So you're a believer." All I said, oh, so you're a believer in Christ? Yes. How did you come to believe in Christ? So we had a couple conversations about that. Now I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm semi-retired, or forced-retired, and I spend an awful lot of time on my own at the house because my lovely wife works a lot, so I got me and the dogs for company. My neighbors are pretty much antisocial, the ones we have. So I have no real interaction with a lot of people. So this was a joy that I was able to, to share my witness to somebody. Is that telling me something? No. <clears throat> but if we don't have our lives cleaned up, we don't, we don't want to just have the exterior. We want to be really proper and right before God, what will our witness or our testimony be to the world? You're a Christian, but yet I saw you drunk at the bar. Not drinking, drunk. I saw you the next day, hungover, you came in late, and you didn't punch in the right time. See, these things do affect us. They do affect all the things around us. And people are watching us, whether we believe it or not. The unbelieving world wants you to trip up, and they want to point it out to you. They get glee out of it. So do you have the courage to ask God to really look at you and work on these warts and and boils fissures in our souls. Do you want to be courageous as David saying that I understand God's love for this and his disdain for this so much that I too want to do that? Not stand and allow the world to give you the garbage that they push out without some kind of pushback. You say, I disagree with that. I strongly disagree with that. Now, I've been suspended from Facebook four times already now. And Facebook, to me, is very new. What, six months? Four times. And I look at that as a badge of honor. Now, I haven't been suspended as often as Jenny was. She posted up something about the Pledge of Allegiance and they fact-checked her and blanked it. What can you fact-check about the Pledge of Allegiance? The things that I got blocked for and saying, you're in violation of community standards. I'm like, I posted a Bible verse. That's all I did that day. Yeah, you're banned. Did it stop me? (laughs) No. Actually, I do more than I ever did before. You see sin, you need to have the same disdain for it as God does and not stand for. Now again, we have hope. And, and the world has hope if they come to know God. I'm going to read this verse. And I was really debating on what verse I was going to use for the closing and how into it I was going to get in actuality, I spent more time on that than the other stuff. Well, typing's not my strong point, so it took me an hour and 45 minutes to type it up, and it wasn't even quite to correct until Jacob helped me and fixed it. Um, I type like this. Backspace, that's wrong. So, it's not, that fun thing. So I had several verses I typed up, and I go, no, 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 and I'm sitting there. <clears throat> All right, Lord, i just got to take a back, step back, and pray on it. And this is the verse he finally spoke to me about. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you, has he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein, in times past, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, and the spirit that works in children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. Now, isn't that what David asks God to root out on him? The mind, the actions, what he does? But he says, but, in verse 4. Now, but is a very interesting word. I love you, but. Or, I'm not sure I agree, but. What happens to everything you said before the but? It becomes null and void. So he says, We're children of wrath, even as others, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, as quickened us together with Christ, By grace you are saved. And he has risen us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So we were of the world. We were sinners. We participated. We reveled in it. But because of God's mercy and grace, we are raised up with Christ. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? For those who believe, that's the hope. For those who don't believe, that's the sorrow. Now if anybody here doesn't know Christ as their savior or doesn't know, have a personal relationship, whatever the wording you want to call it, different people call it different things. If God is not your friend, come speak to us. Speak to any of the deacons, come speak to me. Speak to Pastor uh, um, Carmen. you have an opportunity to change your track. You don't have to end up in a place that you don't want to end up. God's reward is eternal. God's punishment is eternal. You may say, that's not fair. We're not the determiners of right and wrong, God is. God determines what's fair. If the gift is forever, the punishment is forever. Do you want to have eternal punishment, or do you want to have eternal gifts of life with God? Do you want to be separated from the presence of God? That's going to be the biggest thing that's going to be in hell, people in hell. They will be separated from the love of God, from his presence, his mercy, his kindness, He may see you, but he's not gonna listen to you. He will not know you, he will not cherish you. Well, I've only done a few bad things. I hate to tell you, one sin is enough to condemn you before God. And by the way, there are no little sins and big sins in the mind of God. Any sin is enough. Now, there's some of us, there are some sins that are bigger than others. There are some sins that have more consequences. There are some sins that eat at ourselves, some sins that affect others around us. We have categories of sins. God doesn't. So do you have the courage to ask God to take a deep look at you, to grind those rough spots and those knots out of your life? To dig another layer down after that and fix that layer. To continue on praising God even when you're in the depths of the most unpleasant situation. Knowing that he loves you, he cares for you, and all he wants is the best for you. All he wants is you to become more like his son. But it does take courage to say, God, I'm ready. Deal with this. Let me know. Is there any sins that I've been hiding? Are there any sins that I've gotten so used to that I don't see them as sins anymore? That takes courage. That's what frightened the living tire out of him when I first read it, because I didn't fully understand. I only read verses 23 and 24. It wasn't until later that I went to the other verses. And then I started questioning, all right, why does he start with this, and then with this, and then what's in the middle? David leaves no questions about God's omnipresence and his all-knowing and his omnipotence, where he is and where he isn't. Where could you go that you could escape God? Nowhere. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love which he loved us, when we were yet sinners, when we yet despised him, when we yet hated him, when we spit upon his name and his image, when we didn't want anything to do with him, when we were at war with him, he loved us. And he brings us to grace. Through grace, he brings us to salvation. And he raises us up with his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious?